morisco. Eu não me entrego ao tenente na mão. Me entrego só na morte de parabéns na mão. Se entrego. Eu não me entrego. Me entrego só na morte de parabéns na mão. As mortes são os poderes do povo. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast about movies. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. And as always, we've watched so many movies. You know, if you're new here, in segment one, we talk about other movies we've watched. Segment two, we talk about, like, the movie club segment, or the movie club movie, which this time is uh, Black God, White Devil uh, by Glauber Rocha. I hope I said that right. Um... Joa will let me know when I didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and let me tell you, we've got so many movies for segment one this time because we recorded this, uh, checks notes, four days ago, the last episode we recorded. Uh, and in those four days, we've had so much time to watch movies. Um, <laughs> Nia, what have you watched? <sighs> um, Gundam. um i watched i watched a couple episodes of victory um i've been watching a little bit more of the sd gundam stuff Mm -hmm. um i haven't even watched more ds9 since the last time we talked that's where i'm at um man a lot of the sd gundam stuff is real hit or miss Uh uh-huh um the sd gundam like mark ii is just bad Mm -hmm. but um, and some, some more wing. I've been watching some more wing too. I have, I, I, I've worked so fucking much, dude. I have worked so much the last five days. <laughs> um, yeah, I have, I have not, I have not watched any movies. I read like four issues of the book for coffee and comic books and neglected to put up the episode of coffee and comic books that I was supposed to put up. Um, it's been it's been a it's been a rough week out here. Um, should we just get into Black God, White Devil? Yeah. Okay. So, Black God, White Devil. Um, like I say, directed by. Um, let me just click on his name and see if I can get any. It's the it's Glauber. Glober. It's probably Glauber. Uh, Glauber Rocha. I felt good about the Rocha. I did not feel good about the Glauber. Glauber Rocha. Um. This was, I believe, his first film, yes? Um, released in 1964. Oh, his fourth film, actually. Well, okay. Let's look at I mean, that one was, like, feature-length. Yeah. yeah. The fir- this one, at least, is a... Unfinished silent short. One of these is silent. So, maybe his second feature, if we're reading this Wikipedia right, which maybe you are not. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Black God, White Devil... 1964 movie. Um, this is a very sort of independent production, and let me, the plot summary on this movie incredibly easy. Let me tell you, there's a guy named Manuel. Manuel is a down on his luck um, cattle herd, um, and one day his boss tries to screw him over, so he kills that man with a big ass fuck off knife. He, yeah. He goes on the run from the law, and he falls in with um, 
what's his name here? Uh, uh, he and also his wife Rosa, which yes. is important to to bring up here. Yes, but yeah, falls in with uh, the subtitles we're using said Sebastian, but uh, Sebastian. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> or Sebastian. Sebastio. Sebastio. Yeah. Um. Um. Who's a self-proclaimed saint? Yes, and he is this cult leader. Um, who is leading um his his flock like it through a bunch of like mountain towns um and sort of like pillaging and robbing and um telling them that you know the the promised land is coming uh the the land will become the sea and the sea will become the land um you know <clears throat> uh salvation salvation is uh coming as long as you keep following me and keep you know looting and such uh <clears throat> manuel um it unclear to me sort of sebastias or sebastios like right hand man maybe not clear yeah. to me seemed seemed important enough to to this guy that he was invested in him you know anyway yeah. meanwhile um uh uh What's the Antonio dos Mortes um, is hired to hunt them all down, and so does. Yeah, hired by like church authorities and like government authorities. Yes, hired by like the mayor and the priest in the town. Yeah, you know, um, that's important. Um, so he goes and he hunts them down, and while he's he is gunning down like the flock in the church, there is Manuel, there is Rosa, his wife. Um, and, and she has just had a baby and, uh, Sebastio, um, is like, you need to kill your, you know, you need to offer your baby to show your devotion to me. Like you have to, you know, God said to Abraham, kill me a son, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and and so Manuel, I'm the, the details are hazy. He kills the baby. Well, like Manuel, like offers up the baby in the priest stabs. Yes, I think. Yes, um, and then uh, I think he's kind of he is given the knife to kill Rosa, which he cannot do. He cannot bring himself yeah. to do. And then I think in all of this, he misses that because he's sort of overcome with like I can't kill her. Misses that she takes the knife and kills. Yes. Um, yes. Sebastio. His his sort of grip on reality in here is like you know loose at best because because he is being actively like fed lies um by um the you know the cult leader dude and so like you know there is a little bit of him like just not not being able to discern like what is the lie i'm being fed what is like rosa telling me the truth what is like having trouble like even when he sees something happen you know is having yeah. trouble you know with that well and also uh he's like very concerned that the the saint is very concerned with like um you know suffering and like punishment and like toil or like torment as a thing so there's like a, a one of the i think it's like the longest uh take in the the like you know longest like shot length, mm-hmm. um, not in terms of focal length, but mm-hmm. like in terms of between cuts, mm-hmm. um, in this segment, 
it there's some really long ones in like the second half of the movie but in this first half uh is manuel like carrying a giant stone uh which i read that um the director did not say this but the actor was like i need to carry like this actual huge stone uh-huh. to like you know fully embody this character and like do this scene right um i think it was like um what was it like was it 20 kilograms or yeah 20 kilos mm-hmm. um and he like had to carry it over his head and like carry it all this distance. And he was so fatigued that they had to stop shooting for two days after so he could rest. God. Um, Poor son of a bitch. <laughs> but yeah. And so like all of the, like the, the killing of the baby is just like a culmination of a lot of this like uh, punishment and like uh-huh. suffering and stuff. Yes. Um, but yeah, Rosa kills the, uh, kills Sebastio. Mm-hmm. So... From here, um, Rosa and Manuel are sort of, like, wandering for a while, and they end up falling in with, um... Carisco. Carisco. And Dada. Or, yes. I don't know how to... Yeah. There's an accent over the second A, but I... Um, um, Carisco is a... Just sort of, like, you know, Western movie, just, like, bandit. You know, he is, there's, there's no sort of like cult angle to this. He is just like, yeah, we go into towns and we shoot people and steal things. Um, he, he is, so I I, like look into some of this stuff a little bit on like at the, this period in time, um, there was the Congasieros and they were like, uh, these bandits that specifically were in. Uh, sort of, and we see this shift here to like, uh, I forget what the, uh, it's like the Sertau, but like the, the subtitles called them like the Backlands or something. Yeah. But it's like basically like the inner part of the, uh, like difficult to reach part of the country. Mm. Uh, most people are like, you know, going to the coast where the cities are and things like that. Um, and so there's sort of like this tension between like coastal and like city life and then this like rural, you know, in the backlands, uh, life thing that was happening here. And the bandits were specifically like stealing from wealthy people, um, you know, giving some of the stuff to, to poorer people or like, you know, paying more than would actually be like worth for, you know, whatever that they're growing or trying to sell things like that. Like basically the bandits are trying to help out like the poor people and are also attacking the, the rich people. So we like get a sequence here where there's an attack on a, um, you know, some wealthy landowner and, um, Carisco has Manuel, uh, castrate the man, Uh um, is, is one sequence in there. And Carisco is sort of like, so he he was part of this same, he was more um, of a leader. Um, we also get, um, what was that, Lampio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. I was about to tie this in. Yeah, so, so died and now he believes is like inhabiting him. Yes. So they were, they were all sort of part of the same, like Carisco was part of the same like faith that Sebastio was like leading. But he wasn't, um, he was not like a, like a, a follower in the cult in the same way. He just had a like sort of religious fervor to his banditry, you know? Um, and so Limpio 
and Sebastio are are dead, and he's like, he feels in literally question mark the sort of their spirit inhabiting him, um, and he also is sort of like everybody else, like this way of life is dying. You know, the the government and the church is going to like choke all of this. Yeah. Um, like I like this. The way that I live my life is not going to exist for very long. And sort of he lives with a sort of like abandon and just like readiness for death um, and <clears throat> brings Manuel and some others along along with them uh, brings. We've not talked about Rosa much in the summary. That's a little bit deliberate because I think this is to me in a huge way Rosa's movie. Um this is a movie about her, but the plot is not about her. It's everything else that's about her. And I want to get to everything else in a minute. Um, so, so yeah, in many ways, like, uh, her and, and Manuel are like ostensibly the main characters, uh-huh. but are frequently in the position of like observers and, um, like occasional participants in like other actors. Mm hmm. Uh, actors not in the sense of like, you know, theater or whatever, but like people who, who act, who do acts, um, in this film. But, um, and so, yeah, they like follow people, um, and will occasionally do things at their bidding and, and stuff like that. But they are throughout all of this, like Manuel and Rosa are both kind of like, uh, buoyed and bevied around by like the waves of all these other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Carisco, he's sort of on this path with death, and um, uh, Antonio, um, who used to be part of their whole gang, um, catches up with them, and there is, you know, the final showdown, and and Antonio is like the last one left alive, and Manuel and Rosa escape with their lives, and sort of we, um, you know, f- fade to black. It's it's not quite a fade to black. I think maybe it's a freeze frame, but it's a it's a you know. The movie ends on just like this shot of them of of Manuel even running. I don't think we yeah. even get Rosa running in the final uh, moments. Ooh, siren! We don't get. I can't often hear sirens in the podcast yeah. room. Um, um, there's like a window that's like slightly cracked, but yeah, we don't we don't usually hear them. Is the only yeah. thing I'm sure they go by all the time. Anyway, so that's like the plot of the movie. The plot is like not important. Um, <laughs> the plot is like. This is one of the best movies we've watched for the podcast, I think. And, like, the plot is, like, the fifth rung on that ladder. You know? Like, I... (laughs) Plot is not my concern here. My concern is that, like, this is beautifully photographed. Just, like... Like, Rosha's eye is just, like... I can't can't be effusive enough about it. I just think that he has such a, a, a good eye for um the way everything in this movie is framed um i i think that like um everything everything in this movie is presented with a sort of like mythic and emotional reality and that that reality is not coupled to like you know like a sort of i don't think that's like a psychological reality i don't get an idea of like you know, oh, Manuel is all, you know, like, I don't have an idea of his psychology 
I just know how he sort of fits into this story that is larger than himself. And the story is always larger than all of the people that are caught up in the story. Um, and, 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 and Rosha gets this across with just, you know, these like, just like breathtaking close-ups and breathtaking wide shots that are capturing like the majesty of the, the rolling countryside, you know, the mountains and the hills just look gorgeous in this movie. Um, there's a really striking effect. He like goes back to a bunch in this movie where, um, and, and you gave me the vocabulary for this, but he doesn't put a red filter over the camera. And so the, the sky isn't like this sort of like textured thing. Like the sky in so much of this movie is just like blindingly white contrasted yeah. against, you know, um, this very like. You know, there's a granularity to the way in which, like, the landscapes and the 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 detail, all the little you know cracks and the rocks and the you know steps on the path that is partially paved. Um, you know, you you see all of that, and then the sky is just this like bleach white thing. This um, you know, very oppressive thing. I just th- I just think this movie's fucking incredible, and I've been monologuing. So if you want to yeah. jump in, jump in. Um, yeah. So. One of the other things that I noticed watching this. So one thing is, I, I guess I just want to like do at the top, which is that uh, this is in the mold of a Western. It is taking yes. American yes. Westerns and yes. it is playing with those tropes. And then I think there's like, it's extremely smart about how it's doing that because it is highly aware of how like the Western is a, is a political genre and is also a very mythic genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the Western falls into this in the way that like, uh, myth and politics in a Hollywood film, like, you know, classic Westerns is just like a coming out. It's bubbling out of just the ideology of the society that's making it and the people who are making it Mm. like, you know, these are people living in California, like Mm. after like manifest destiny and making these expensive movies about like the the landscapes and everything yeah. of like the, the wild, you know, uh, untamed land, quote unquote, have you, you know, you quotes know. on this and everything. Take- but like all of that stuff is like deeply imbued with this like ideology of, you know, American conquest uh-huh. that is, there's definitely stuff that like interrogates it. There's some Westerns that do, but Westerns as a genre just sort of assume like the, the, the ideology is just replicated in the film. Yes. Well, and, and, and it, it has you have to remember also um in 1964 like well yeah so with this film though i don't think it's doing that yeah 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 J- just to talk about american westerns for just a moment yeah. to sort of set up what this movie is doing against that um in 1964 we are coming out of this era like um american movies by 1964 are not as westerns as much but from, like, 1930, you know, like, as soon as, like, before even, like, sound in movies. Yeah. From, from like, birth of a nation until, like, the studio system collapses in the late 50s. Yeah. Like, the dominance that, like, Marvel movies have over, like, the market now is nothing compared to how just, like, heavily, like, Westerns were everywhere yeah everything was westerns there were so 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 
many westerns. Yeah. <laughs> um like it is it is difficult to like wrap our minds around in some ways because like they made a lot more movies back then. Movies just came out at a much faster clip and dozens upon dozens upon dozens of them every year were westerns and they were very successful. Yeah. You know? Um, um massive careers built off of them. Yes. Because because you could do you could do extremely cheap westerns, you know, of just like, oh, we have, you know, a couple guys in a in a little town we built in a back lot and they, you know, reuse some costumes. Or, you know, you could go your John Wayne and you could take your vacation out to Monument Valley and, you know, spend a zillion dollars making the searchers or whatever. You yeah. know? Um and so in, in nineteen sixty four, that is sort of on the decline in American cinema, but also, you know, uh the this this is like the moment of Yojimbo. This is the mo- this is the exact same year as Fistful of Dollars. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, this movie <coughs> This is also the French New Wave really like uh yeah. you know, all the writing around American cinema where they're talking about the Western and also the noir. The the noir like a genre mm-hmm. term that is being applied retroactively to a bunch of movies by like French critics of yeah. of American you know, older American movies. Yeah. Um, there's the, all that stuff that's also like funneling into these other interpretations of the Western. Yeah. Um, that's going to lead into, you know, the new Westerns and revisionist Westerns and mm-hmm. all of these things that come after as well. Um, and so, and so, yeah, seeing this movie, like uh, this is, a, this is like a thing I've always, because, you know, like Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo are like two of the first movies that I watched as a person getting into movies, you know, they were just like, Oh, yeah. cause they're, you know, beloved classics and rightly so. And so this is just like a moment I've always, I wouldn't say I'm like super duper well-versed in, but I'm interested in a, like the, the sort of like immediately after the height of the Western's popularity in the U S how it, the reactions that come, the, the reactions to it that come out of like international cinema, like from all over the globe. And then this movie seemingly not well known in the United States. I think it did get like some attention at con and stuff, but uh, yeah, it definitely no longer holds like I've, I found this on rare film. M. Yeah. I had heard of it like vaguely mm-hmm. in the past and it's always been like, since I heard it being like, Oh, I should check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found it on rare film. And I'm like, Oh, I remember that title before, you know, mm-hmm. hearing it like years ago. I'll download that and then just send on my Plex. And I was like, let's just do it. Cause, mm-hmm. But part of my hesitation, too, was the main thing that I knew about it was that uh, even like compared to movies at the time, uh, if you compare to like American movies, um, the the first half, the shots are a little bit longer, mm-hmm. like just longer duration. Mm-hmm. Um and then you get to the second half, and it's like, you know, maybe five seconds average more per, yeah, you know, uh, between cuts. Yeah. Um, you get to the second half, and that that's like, you know, in the maybe like 14 to at most like 20 range. Mm-hmm. I think the, the average length of a shot in the second half is like 40 seconds or something. Yeah. And that includes like a 
a part where you do get like a, a few rapid cuts. Yeah. Ingmar Bergman sent running to the hills by the, the length of shots in yeah. this movie. <laughs> and so I had heard that and I was like, oh, like, I'm sure this movie will be good, but it might be really boring. Mm-hmm. And was was presently, pleasantly surprised that it was not. It is and the also most... the, the long takes that you get in the second half are like, not it is not like the the way that I think of it is I think about like a, a Mizuguchi thing or something yes. where or yes. even like yes. you know Brighter Summer Day does this it's a great movie but it'll be like the camera is here and people will move around yes. within the frame but the camera is like static yes the camera is so mobile in this movie where people will move and then the like camera will move and reframe and then like reframe and so you're like actually getting the effect of yes the, these different shots. Even though the camera just keeps rolling, like, which is just like, incredible to see. Like this is how like this is how like Birdman operates. But Birdman is a movie that cost a lot of money and was made in 2014 by people who, you know, had decades of experience in the movie industry. Um, this movie was made for pennies in the 60s by people who had very it little involved experience. trying to lug the equipment. To yes, an extremely yes. difficult part of the yes. country to even reach. This is, I believe, the first, like, at least the first feature film um, to be recorded in, like, this part of the country. And, and you know, they didn't have no fucking GoPros, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Them shits is big. I'm, ass- I'm assuming there's some sort of steady cam happening. Uh-huh. Maybe. I mean, the... the, the... But there... Because there's moments where it's a little bit shakier and there's moments where it feels a little more steady and I don't know if that's just... Yeah, there's... It's interesting because there's a... There's a popular story about, like... Like, you know... The Steadicam is more or less invented for The Shining in 1980. I don't know how much I, like believe that because I I just have a hard time believing I just feel that... like there's steady cam stuff in like French New Wave. Yeah. Like like even like if maybe it's not like the modern steady cam but like I feel yeah. like there was already stuff to cuz French New Wave was also trying to do like a more mobile camera and there's just a like limit to how mobile you can how much you can like carry around a camera with the the size constraints that existed at yes. the time. Yes. I would believe that a totally new Steady cam device that is now standardized was invented for The Shining. Yeah. I have a hard time believing that no one ever came up with some sort of like, hey, if we, you know, have the camera in just this such a way, uh, you know, some something to stabilize it, you know, uh, because regardless, regardless, just like the motion to to the way the back half of this movie moves is just it's it's fucking incredible. Like there is just like there is an energy, there is a vibrancy, there is a like urgency to to everything, especially in the back half. I I I think I probably like the first half of the movie a little better. Um I also admittedly was pretty sleepy by the back half of the movie. You know, just cards on the table. I was pretty sleepy <laughs> yeah. the day we watched this. Um but but you know there is just the way that this movie like operates is just fucking incredible it's just like yeah you just don't see movies from 1964 that look like this that have the you know um there there are movies from 1964 that have this energy but don't like 
Yeah. I don't know. There's just something there, about this. There's something magical to this movie. Yeah. Also, because the this the back half does have these like you know as I was describing these like very long takes. Uh-huh. The front half does not. Uh-huh. Um, and also like so much of the back half is like people like standing in just desert. You know, there's just like cacti and mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so much of it is like people talking and moving around in ways that seem to be like signifying shifting allegiances. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a like weird way, it's some of the tension of like a Sergio Leone movie where you like look at different people's eyes for a while until finally someone shoots a gun. Mm. But it's so much more like weird and abstracted into the just like this uh, space of like you know, intern like uh, interpersonal politics. Yeah, that are happening. Uh, specifically it's, using that term instead of like interpersonal relationships, because there is like a certain political dimension to it. It's um, it's it's remarkable the way this movie can move back and forth between everything is larger than life. Everything, you know, mythic is the word that we've used a couple times here. Yeah, and and it can just like switch on a dime within within one shot can sort of go from huge mythic thing to, like, these are just people living their lives, you know, and sort of just giving it, giving you just, like, the most, like, raw feelings that a human can feel, you know? Compared to the the second half, the first half is, like, hectic and, like, uh, unorganized. There's just, like, so many moments where just, you'll be watching, like, you know some sort of scene that's happening in whatever, like, kind of mountainous region Mm. uh, that's, like, sort of close to the coast. Mm. um, Where they're all hanging out, and it's, like, you know, the the saint and his flock. And then it'll just, like, cut to, like, raids in the street. Um, You'll just... It'll cut to, like, someone, like, bleeding from their eye. Uh, And, like, there's just, like, so much, like, human screeching and, like... Uh, crying and stuff as like the soundtrack like the whole thing feels like it's um, overflowing with this like human misery and then you get to the second part and then it's like and then what do you do with like like here's like the human misery of the people suffering and the second part is like now what do you do about it and it's all these people talking about like how do we do some sort of like weird revolution as bandits uh huh (laughs) but like there's there's sort of a like there's a resignedness to it of like, you know, like we're we're not going to we want to do a revolution. We want to, you know, live our lives as bandits and have that be revolutionary. But there is no. If there is a vision of it. I, I'm like, it's, I'm I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself slightly. There is maybe a vision of and the whole country will will come along with us in our revolution. But I don't think anybody like believes that you know i think it they believe like, that they are all doomed it feels like they believed it and then like lampio died yeah and like yeah more and more of just the uh Kanga Sierras are like being hunted uh-huh. by including like i think um antonioni is supposed to be a former mm-hmm. a- antonio yeah. You said Antonioni. Antonio, <laughs> not Antonioni. Uh, the guy, yeah. Red Desert shows up for a minute there. <laughs> um, Antonio is supposed to be like, but also there's like this weird way that, um, but in a way where it doesn't feel forced, but like uh, everything about Antonio feels more modern. Uh-huh. Whereas like the, um, 
Carisco and like everybody else, they feel a little bit. Although there's the the well, the blind man is like wearing plaid and stuff, which doesn't feel like weird and traditional. He is the one character in the movie that is motive, uh, other than maybe like debatably, he's the one character in the movie that is motivated by money. You know, we're we see, but even he has this stuff where he talks about that he didn't take it for the money. Yeah, he, it almost feels like he's asking for money. Because he wants to ask for a price so big that they won't have him do it. And they keep agreeing to give him the money. And at a certain point, he's like, well, I'm doing it then. Mm. Um, but he, I, I think maybe... He, he, he does have a certain modern... Like, his, his clothing feels a little bit more distinct. He has this, yeah. like, weird uh, it's duster like a, poncho it's like, thing. Yeah, it is a weird-ass looking getup. And his, like, his gun just seems so much more... Like yes. modern than everybody yes. else's. Yes. Because everybody is running around this movie with like single shot pistols. Yeah. You know? And and like daggers and swords. Yes. That's yeah. a that, Manuel fights people with swords in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> um, um but so and yeah, he shows up with like, you know, a, like a Winchester repeater type thing. You know, yeah. where he just like Pumps it, shoot, pump, shoot, pump, shoot. Yeah. Um, but the so the biggest thing, uh, and I I said, I said to them that I was gonna shout out repertory screenings. Here's where it is. People should go listen to the episode on high noon. Mm-hmm. Um so the other thing that I had watching this movie. High noon, uh, you know, people can listen to the repertory screenings episode and like get a lot more about this, but uh, High Noon is this Western film that is created um, and in some ways has this like rugged individualist thing going on, but also it's became targeted by a lot of the like, uh, you know, pink scare stuff. Um, The like whole uh, blacklisting that was happening in Hollywood. Like a lot of people got blacklisted uh, sort of ambiguously because they worked on the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Or maybe other stuff, you know, you don't, like, ever fully know. Um, And so it's, like, sitting in this weird political space where there's a lot of context that surrounds, like, the movie politically. And it's, like, the strange tensions that exist there. Uh Uh-huh. I I watched this movie knowing a little bit about, like, um, like, when Lampio gets mentioned, I knew that that was, like, a real guy. In, like, the 30s, I think he died, like, 38 or 40 or something, like, around then. So this is presumably, at least that segment is set around there. Some of the time gets weird where you don't know how, like, how long are they wandering in the desert right. and stuff. 40 days they, and 40 nights, yeah. I assume. <laughs> um, But, you know, I, I knew him. I knew a little bit of this, like, history of... This like banditry uh, that was tied to sort of a, a modernization, I think, that was happening in the country, you know, the development of cities, things like that. Um, and then involved as well, like, you know, the church and the government paying to like try and get rid of these bandits. Mm. Sometimes paying other bandits who had cut off the heads mm. and bring them back as like proof. I'm not, I've like, you know, said farewell to the bandit life. Now I'm doing this. And uh-huh. I'm, you know, that was like how they like bought freedom basically was going and killing other ones and bringing back their heads. Um, freedom from like being targeted in the same way. Mm. Um, I also know that this movie is coming out the same year of like 
there was a, a successful coup backed by the U.S. government in Brazil uh, of like the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and this had been going on, like stuff around this had been going on, presumably while this movie is being made. Uh, there, there's like this, you know, more like uh, right wing mili- like military coup that is occurring backed by the U.S. government. Uh-huh. Um, and that is like uh, overthrowing the current leader of the country. Um, there's this like huge, like pushback against like communist stuff within the country as a result in all of this. That's what this movie is coming out in the middle of. Uh, and so I'm watching this and I'm like, I, I can see that there is some sort of both in the way that it's like dealing with myth, but it's also dealing with this like specific political moment of it being made in the sixties while this coup is happening. And then talking about like these folk heroes from, you know, the thirties who are also fighting against, like, you know, government backed people coming in to like kill those who are resisting the mm. the current like social upheaval. Right. Um, all of this stuff. And it's like enough of oh, this movie is like being deeply, deeply political. Uh-huh. But also I haven't studied Brazilian history like that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I I had actually looked up and then I had forgotten to read it because I was just been busy with work. There's a, a, if it's a good essay, I'm going to read it afterwards. I'll include it as like a link in the episode description. Mm-hmm. People can check out. Uh, but it's Politics and Aesthetics of Myth in Black God, White Devil, which that title is already grabbing me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I found it on, on uh, Google Scholar. Um, so, yeah, I realized while we were recording that I had intended to read that before we recorded just so I could have a little bit more around all of this stuff. But, um, yeah. I'll still probably shout out that, you know, if I read it and I'm like, this is a really bad essay, I won't include it, but, Mm. um, but yeah, I just like, you know, me like sort of fully lacking, you know, the, the, the background to connect this to anything like contemporary to, you know, Brazil in the sixties, um, the movie still functions and it still feels very like. It fe- it still feels like very pointed, but also, how do I want to say this? I feel like it in if, a different way than um, smooth talk, but it, like a similar trick is like making things like mythic and timeless at the same time that it like feels very specific to like uh to people like a, a time and a place, mm. all of that. Well, and like. So, so the, the the Wikipedia for this has a citation needed sentence that's like, Rocha insists that rather than follow external and obscure dogmas of culture and religion, man must determine his own must determine his path by his own voice. And and I I read that and it hit me really wrong because that feels so broad. That feels so. I can read my politics into that, and also a person with 180 degrees, the opposite politics of me, can read that and put their politics into it, you know? Yeah. And this movie feels so sharp and feels so, like, honed to be about the things that it's about, and even if I'm maybe lacking some of the context, like, I can at least, you know, uh, get brought up and get 
can follow along with like the 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 broad strokes of like you know um how horrible it is that this this person is like you know when you you know <clears throat> this person commits this crime and there is no sort of like falls out of society in a big way you know like once manuel does like kills his boss at the beginning of the movie there's no like there is no way for him to re-enter like normal good social organization and i don't even like what was normal social life for him it was like being so poor and so destitute that him and Rosa could die any day, you yeah. know? And he's specifically killing his boss because um, he's, like, herding cows. Uh-huh. Uh, and of the, like, 12 that are all branded by this guy. Uh-huh. And thus, like, by branding, are owned by that guy and not by him. Uh-huh. But then four of them die uh, because there's, like, a snake, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. Um like basically like when he's like getting there as well. And then he's saying to the boss, well, why don't we like split the losses? Uh huh. And the boss is like, no, those are your losses. Mm. Cause those were your cows. Yeah. And he's like, it's my cows when they die. Yeah. They're your cows. They have your brand on it. But once they die, they're my cows. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's like the, the final straw is just like getting fucked over again and again by the man. Yeah. And so like, and so, like, living as part of, like, the thing that society sanctions as, like, a good, normal life was going to kill him. He he kills his boss because, truly, he has nothing to lose. If, if, if it's true that those are his four cows and now he owes his boss for the four cows that are dead, like, he can't repay him. You know, yeah. there is, like, his only recourse then is to starve to death, basically. So he does this and he goes out on his own and like once once he, you know, is out of society, like who are the sorts of what else is there? And these are the sorts of people he falls in with is like, you know, cult leaders who are going to take advantage of him and and bandit leaders who are going to take advantage of him. Um, and like <clears throat> that all, all that to say that that feels so purposeful it feels so pointed it feels so uh, specific that i wouldn't want to put onto this movie you know oh people shouldn't follow external dogmas and you know follow your own voice because i don't want to i don't want to say something that broad about this movie because i think you can easily read that and you know take whatever libertarian weirdo politics you want to have about it and i don't think this has libertarian weirdo politics you know yeah also, the, the like, um, Crisco is like, as much as there's like things that he asked uh, Manuel to do to like sort of prove himself, yeah, as a part of the gang, is also like, uh, compared to the self appointed saint, is doing like more to try and help out people directly, um, and is like espousing some sort of revolutionary politic. Even if it's not, like, uh, fully formulated or has, like, clear end goals beyond, you know, is in this, like, dying state where it's sort of recognized that, like, the boot is crushing them. Mm -hmm. They're actively being crushed by the boot and they are going to, like, be crushed by that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I I still think that like, you know, this movie is not saying that like Antonio uh, Antonio I wanted to do Antonioni again. Antonio like is coming in and uh, is like doing this good thing by like you know freeing these people or whatever. Yeah. Um, and like I don't think that the end of of uh Manuel and like Rosa just like running, running is is freedom and 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 goodness. Yeah, it's like literally just the like they were running, they came to the saint. They were running, they came to the Congasiero. Uh-huh. They're running again. Yes. Yeah. But where the fuck are they going to end up now? Yes. <laughs> um there's a... and just like um um, I had a thought that was spinning out of that. Well, and, 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 you know, we still have not talked about Rosa en- yeah. enough, I feel like, because I think, I think Rosa is so central to this movie. And I think, you know, this actress gives such an incredible performance, um, where she, she is purposefully not given that many lines, you know, the, the like the the sort of like when Manuel um kills his boss and runs away like it is just sort of her like lot in life that she has to go with her husband and when her husband gets in with this gang she does not she like doesn't want to do this she she immediately sniffs out like the saint guy as as suspect, she doesn't like him. She tries time and again to get Manuel away from him. Um, you know, she obviously does not want to offer up her baby. Um, and she kills him. <laughs> yeah, and she kills the man for it. You know, like, you took my baby from me. I'm going to fucking kill you for this shit. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, um, but but, like, what else is she able to do? Like, you know... If if she had stayed on the farm, you know, at the beginning of the movie, like, then what? Like, no one's going to take her in, you know? She might be held accountable for her husband's actions, you know? Yeah. It might be like, well, you know, if Manuel's on the run for this, you're going to hang, you know? Um, like, it, it, she... Like Manuel is caught up in a lot of things larger than himself, you know, um, that that marginalize him and push him to the edges of society and push him out of society. Rosa is is going through all of that like times ten because of her role as as wife, you know, yeah. and and the way that this is conveyed of just like of just through her performance and just how like Rosa brings the camera in on her and like, you know, and also the way that even Manuel, uh, again and again, abandons her. Yeah. We get moments of her falling and he keeps walking on or running on or whatever. Yes. Um, he, he, it is so easy for him to just abandon her, but she will like continue to catch up. Yes. Because what else is she supposed to do? You know, like literally like what else is she supposed to do? Yeah. And then she, almost she's, Again, there's like very little lines that are given to her, but she also seems like frustrated with Manuel for being like uh put off by like having to kill rich people. 
Yeah. With it, what's, Carisco what's the... being like, you killed our fucking baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't go cut off a rich guy's balls. Yeah. Yeah. She, she is so totally on board with like what Carisco's about. She's like, finally, someone who makes some fucking sense in this world. Yeah. And then her bitch ass husband is all morally conflicted about it. And she's like, she's like making out with Carisco. Um, she's like, she is about to fuck Carisco's wife at any moment. Yeah. I am not convinced those two don't go fuck off camera. Like, like, she is getting some bomb-ass pussy. They, they like, <laughs> meet up, and it's just immediately, like, face-to-face. And, like... And us like, chanting at the screen, kiss, kiss, kiss. And, like, she is caressing the other woman's cheeks and shit, and, like, um... It's, it's absurd. And the other woman... She literally does not have any lines in the movie, I think. She yeah. is literally just there to sort of forlornly stare out over the horizon and just think about, like... And then get murdered at the end. And then get by, murdered at the end. By Antonioni. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it on purpose that time. Um, yeah, I just think this movie's fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. I, ju- I just... It's on rarefilmm.com if people want to check yeah. it out. It's supposedly in the U.S. anyway. Kino Lorber put out a DVD of this at one time. My guess is that's what the rare film is based on. Yeah, unless they were able to find a higher quality. Yeah. Um. But it it is such a travesty that at least you know Joe was telling us that he has seen this movie like projected on the big screen. Uh, Rosha, from from my cursory little googling, like Rosha is a very revered director in Brazil, and it sounds like maybe like you know th- his movies have been thusly like preserved and taken care of but that is not translated over over in the u.s yeah we need criterion to pick this one up i need i need the Just fucking bang in the drum this and like angel of the universe i need the music box motherfuckers you listen to this podcast i know you do and li- like we went and saw sunset boulevard we had a lovely time i'm not trying to get covid and so we're not going to the music box again until we feel a little more comfortable around stuff. I don't know. You you really almost got me with Tokyo Drifter, but it was also just like at an inconvenient time. Yeah, yeah. For my work. Yeah. But but like if they if employee of the music box who is listening to this podcast, if you show this movie, we will show up. And we yeah. will I will I will press gang all of our Chicago listeners into showing up for this too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how many people we've listened to this podcast that live in the city. Um I, I, I don't know that at all, honestly, and I've never bothered yeah. to ask, and I don't really want to ask. I, comment well, in the Discord comment in the Discord if you live in Chicago. We're not gonna meet up or anything. I'm not I'm not really about that, but <laughs> Yeah. Um but if the music box shows this movie, um We'll all meet up there. Yeah, we will meet up there. Um and I I wasn't kidding about the press ganging thing. <laughs> yeah. Um Stairs. Stairs. We need to talk about stairs. So we had it's a difficult movie. Because there were definitely steps. There mm. were definitely, like, partially paved roads going up mountains that had, like, steps on them. Yeah. But when we were watching it, I think this is the real litmus test. Did either of us ever, like, really excitedly go, stairs? Or were we like, that one could work for the cover? Yeah. I think maybe we have... Maybe like a C minus for stairs. Yeah. 
Because there was there were definitely things that counted. There were definitely stairs. But I don't think we ever were like, stairs. The movie brought it all home. They tied it all together. Yeah. You know. Uh, another the, the reminder ma- that... The land will become the sea. <laughs> another reminder that the uh, stair rating... Uh, not in any way indicative of the quality of the movie. Imagine if we talked all, imagine if we had this whole conversation and at the end of it, I was like, yeah, C minus for, for Black God, White Devil. Yeah. <laughs> I was, and I was just like, yeah, the, the movie's, it's all right. <laughs> um, I'm just going to fill this one in as well. Would you? By the way, do we have emails? I feel like we must have a backlog of emails, and I'm realizing now when we don't have uh, eight billion other things to talk about, it would be a, a totally fine time to have emails. Let me check. Um, there's nothing I've posted in the Discord of late, but let me just scroll back. Um, yeah, we've got two from Juo and one from Aiden that we never no we did answer these we did answer these um let me just open the did we answer did Iron Man 20 2007 save so so the first one from Juo here is this is happy birthday Nia that's how old this is yeah um did Iron Man 2007 save cinema no. Which movie got the closest to saving cinema? If anything, Iron Man 2007 helped destroy cinema. Which movie died for every other movie's sins? Um, which movie got the closest to saving cinema? Um, John Wick. John Wick did its best to save cinema. John Are Wick, we talking about the modern saving of cinema? Because there's been other times that movies have saved cinema. Yeah, like Bonnie and Clyde saved cinema. I'm not really a Bonnie and Clyde person, but like Bonnie and Clyde, like factually, that is like the legacy of that movie, you know? Yeah. Is is saving cinema. <laughs> like French New Wave, as much as I sometimes turn Breathless my nose a bit. saved cinema. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But really, Yojimbo saved cinema. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. I, I want to know what movie died for every other movie's sins. That's what I'm trying to figure out here. Um, um, the, the difficulty is that I think a movie that died for everyone else's sin or every other movie's sins is a movie that, that didn't get released mm. for the sins of others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Oh, this this email from M is about. Uh, you know what movie friends. died for every, for every other movie since? What's that? It did get released, but it also did die. Huh. Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> In what way did Solo, a Star Wars story, die for every other movie? So there, since? Were, there was all the sins of like Disney Star Wars, just like a top cinema. Uh huh. Uh, and then Solo, a Star Wars story died, uh-huh. uh, to, I have the answer. I have the answer. It's Guillermo del Toro's Hobbit movie. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro's movie, Hobbit movie died for every other movie sins. Unfortunately, the weight of sin was too great for Guillermo del Toro to bear alone. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately that movie dying did not save cinema in any way. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what were the other ones? Did we answer the other ones? The other ones were all for anomalous readings. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. And the the ones I posted in the Discord, we definitely answered. Um, 
Oh, no, we answered this one. No, we didn't. We didn't answer, answer any we of these. We didn't answer any of these. We didn't answer... I thought I remembered Aiden's email, but... Okay, so next email from Juo. Um, This is from, like, two or three weeks ago. What is the stairs grade for the sheep show? I never talked about the sheep show on here. No, we did talk about the sheep show. Yeah, I think we did. Um, What is the stairs grade for the sheep show? F. No stairs in the movie. Yeah. In that show. It's mostly just a flat, grassy plain. Uh, and then stairs rating for Daniel the Tiger. Uh, it's not Daniel the Tiger. Mickey it's, the Mouse. It's not Mickey the Mouse. It's not Sonic, Sonic Hedgehog. <laughs> it's Daniel Tiger. To be clear. Also, also. Uh, no, it's not Daniel Tiger. You know this. It's Dee Dee Tiger. You know what my ass was doing at work on Sunday? What? I was doing dishes and kind of humming to myself. And I literally, a coworker walked back there, and because I wasn't really like aware, you know, I I sing and I hum, you know, as I work. And a coworker walked back there, and was like, "Are you singing the Mister Rogers song?" And I was like, "No, I'm singing the Daniel Tiger song, which is the same song, mm. but I'm singing the Daniel Tiger version of it, because apparently I was just washing dishes and thinking, won't you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor?'" Which is, you know... The one that gets stuck in my... This is partially because um, my kid has a a Daniel Tiger book that you, like, you know, you push the buttons and it, like, does sounds. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, various songs in there, like, Everybody takes care of their hair. And, Mm -hmm. you know, other ones. Uh, But the big one, it's just, like, a button that you hit. Because what what you're supposed to do is you read it. And when you see the picture of the button, you're supposed to hit the button. And so then it will be, like, you know. And then Daniel Tiger, like, tried to bike up the hill. And then you press it. And it's like, I can be brave. I can be brave. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. Uh, But there's one where you hit it. And it happens all the time in the book. Because a whole thing of Daniel Tiger is, like, basically teaching parents ways to, like, be good parents. Mm-hmm. It's really what Daniel Tiger is. Really? Daniel Tiger, I feel like, is more for par- teaching parents how to, like, help your kid regulate emotions and things like that. Interesting. That's, like, what a lot of the... And so... I see what you're saying, but I'd never thought about this. Is you read it, and then it'll be the part where it's like, oh, we're going to go to the dentist. I'm scared to go to the dentist. And you push the button, and it goes, when we do something new... Let's talk about what we'll do. And that's trying to teach that, like, you're supposed to prepare kids before Uh things. You know, we're going to go on this trip to Montreal, so we're going to be like, hey, when we go through the airport, like, this is what the security line is going to be like, blah, blah, blah. You know, you tell your kid that so that they can, like, know what to expect. So otherwise, they just have no prior life experience for what any of that's going to be. Right. Um. Whereas after a while, you start building that up, and you also start building up the ways to like make connections and be like, "This is probably gonna be like that other time." Mm. Your your toddler did excitedly tell me today, two plus three equals five, and I just had a moment of, "Damn, children do be like learning things, huh? Yeah, brains do be like developing and making new connections." And it kind of fucked me up just to like hear your toddler probably. I don't know that they, like, understand addition or that they just learned this addition fact. No, so I was was there at the moment that this happened, which is, um, like, I think it was with, because we have these, like, little robot fishes or something, but specifically said friends. Uh, And they were like, Mama, if you have two friends and then you have three more friends... Then you have five friends. Mm-hmm. I know this because I counted. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> so you like took two of something and three of something, and then you counted up, and it was five of something. Yeah. Like you like figured yes. out the the basic concept yes. of like addition yourself. That's fucked up, dude. That's not allowed. <laughs> so what the fuck? <laughs> the thing is, like, fuck off. My earliest childhood memory uh-huh. is um. So the thing that my parents would do to distract me while they were doing other things, uh, which was most of the time <laughs> when I was very little, was apparently they would like pour some Cheerios into like a pot mm-hmm. and then like give me like the various pots in the kitchen and I would pour like between them, mm-hmm. you know, kids just like pouring things. Yeah. For there was like a months where it was like you, you would give milk to our kid and they'd be like, can I have another cup to pour the milk into you? And then I'll pour it back and then I'll pour it back. And then, yeah. And then I'll like see what happens when I put like the, you know, broccoli in there or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the earliest memory I have is, and it's like pre-verbal, like I didn't have language uh-huh. at the time. Like I, I'm going to describe like the thought process, but the memory that I have is not the words of this. It is like seeing something and intuiting it, intuiting it and understanding it. Mm-hmm. And it was specifically like a new type might. Yes, it was specifically you know like a small pot, looking at the Cheerios, uh-huh. the Cheerios in the pot, pouring it into a larger pot, and seeing that like the shape like it wasn't as deep. Uh huh. The shape was like it was bigger, uh-huh. but that it is the same Cheerios. That like in in this way, as like intuiting, the volume has not changed. Yes, volume has not changed. Object permanence is happening right now. But shape, <laughs> shape like thick, you know, depth versus yeah. like uh, diameter of the disc that's formed by the same volume of Cheerios. Mm-hmm. That has changed. The shape has changed, but volume has not changed. Uh-huh. And it was like me like developing the concept of like the. Yeah, the, like, permanence of, like, uh, objects yeah. and, like, a volume. Yeah. But, like, volume is can, like, change size and stuff, but that, like, the actual, like... The mass. The mass of it yeah. remains the same. Yeah. Um, and now you use that knowledge for your job in industrial supply, doing flow switches and shit that you tell me about and I definitely pay attention. Yeah. I guess, like, totalizing, you, you care about volume. Mm-hmm. But that's not flow switching. Flow. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so a lot of totalizing um, within like older forms. There, there are like other ways that will synthesize this sort of output. But totalizing is often doing um, this type of output that's called a pulse output, which is essentially generated by so like a switch. You know what a switch is? Yes. So, like, imagine. Like, I feel like I knew what. I felt like five seconds ago I knew what switches were, and then you asked me if I knew what a switch was, and I was like, "Wait, do I not okay. know?" Okay, but like, <laughs> so it's like about a connection opening and closing. Right? Yes. So if you imagine, like, you took like a, a um, what do you call it? Safety pin, mm-hmm. and you know how you like pop it open. And it sort of sticks out and it's not connected. Yes. And then if it gets like yeah. pushed in. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And often that's pulled by a magnet. Yeah. It's either like pushed away by the magnet or it's pulled by another magnet on the other end to mm-hmm. make it move and then make that connection. And then the electricity can flow. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like a basic, it's called a reed switch. Uh, there's also Hal effect ones, which have like a different way that this works. But, I regret bringing <laughs> this up. But so 
and so normally you like close it and then it like completes the circuit and now it's closed and now it's powering something and then it will open. Right. Mm. You know, but what happens with, if you're trying to totalize, uh-huh. you, you have a read switch. You, you have to do like slow totalization because it's so it'll like jitter and stuff. You can't have it go really fast. That's where you want Halifax. Cause then you can have really, really quick switching on and off. Mm-hmm. But essentially it's like, say every time a gallon flows mm-hmm. through, um, you have like some sort of turbine in the middle, right. Mm-hmm. Or some sort of moving, uh, element. And it's turning while stuff flows through. And it, when it passes, you have that magnet and then it makes okay. the switch close. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, you get this spike of voltage. Mm-hmm. And then you have a thing that's reading it. And every time it does the spike of voltage, it counts up one, mm-hmm. whatever the amount is. Mm-hmm. And that's how you totalize stuff. So that's how you know how much stuff moved through a system. But then mm-hmm. there's like various ways that like that's really easy mechanically but also it's kind of imprecise because you're you're doing like the the spinning of the turbine is actually telling you about flow and is not telling you about volume itself. Right, right. So there's other ones where you have like various enclosed chambers that the like media will pass through. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know you might have like another spinning thing but you have like sort of blocked off. So then it moves in and then it's sort of like a whole chunk is like moving through the meter. Mhm. So next time we're watching Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Yeah. <laughs> so have, and that one's I called have, positive displacement. I have made the fox sad. Rather than like turbine. I'm perceiving that perhaps I have made the fox sad. But if you have So so have we're like... watching Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because um our 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 project of we'll just watch season two of Twin Peaks when we feel like it has failed miserably. And I wanted to get back to David Lynch. I wanted to be able to close the book. I wanted to be able to say, we're done with this now. We've gotten past this. What's the best way to do that? It is not just wait around and see when we watch season two. It is just to press onward. You know? So we will watch Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Perhaps we'll watch a little more season two. I'm not making you any promises. Yeah. But we are are next, next week. Well, with you going to Montreal, recording might get messed up. I'm not sure. We we have to make a plan. Yeah. But we will perhaps... But I mean, I will get back on Wednesday. Right. So my guess is we would just do the normal watching yeah. Friday or recording Sunday. But... Yes. There is but a... we could also maybe do, some, do something Wednesday. Yeah. The big thing is I also have to watch six episodes of Iron-Blooded Orphans somewhere in there, and I was hoping to do it after I get back. Yes. Uh, so if we, like, watched and recorded Wednesday and Friday, it would make it harder. Like, I'd have to, like, basically yeah. do all of Iron-Blooded sure, Orphans on, sure. on Thursday. We'll Because we'll, we'll I have make, to record Saturday. We'll make a plan after the podcast. We don't have to make a plan right now. There is a chance we miss next week. So the variable area, you got, you gotta have like a cone. So so where like your there's emails, a flow that's like in the bottom. Export audio podcast at gmail.com to tell like to the tell us your the thoughts cone. about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. And as flow After rate increases, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me up to get more area around it. We are going to watch The Devils, <laughs> which is like the, the movie that I thought that M liked. And so the the 
Can you stop? And I... so as the float moves, this is very bad for totalizing, but it's it's easy for seeing flow, right? Because you can actually literally just draw lines where so the So you might is. remember that last time I mentioned, oh, Black God, White Devil, that's that movie M likes. And then I was like, no, that's wrong. It was The Devils and by Ken Russell. Which sees how the so after we watch Firewalk with the, me, then we will watch The Devils. The sound waves to bounce differently. Nanahachi is real. Nanahachi is real. But so, <laughs> God. <laughs> Another thing is it. thermal, where you have two different. Till 
Nora and I are at the grocery store. Two guard home. Yeah. Okay. Nora and I are at the grocery store, and we're standing here. <clears throat> Let me adjust my chair. So I'm a little closer to the mic. So, <clears throat> we're at the grocery store, and we're looking at, like, I don't know. We were looking at something where there's, like, seven different brands of, of it. I don't remember. Maybe, like, I think we got a box of instant rice to go with dinner. Um, and we're looking at them. And I look. I look left. I look right. There's no one else in the grocery aisle with me right this moment. So I just blast ass. <laughs> I just cut loose this fart that was just vile. <laughs> Just disgusting. <laughs> and not a moment later, not a second later, this little old lady and this person who works at the store come around the corner and this little old lady is like, oh, I was looking for this brand of boxes of rice, but I can't find it. Can you help me? <clears throat> and the two, <laughs> these two people just like, are bending over looking down at like the bottom shelf at the store and so their head is just right where my butt was <laughs> and they just stick their face right in there yeah. <laughs> and I just I, I was mortified but I couldn't say anything I couldn't do anything I wasn't going to apologize I wasn't going to acknowledge what I had done in any way <laughs> I wasn't going to be like hey strangers Sorry about the fart you're smelling right now. Yeah. I, I, I just moved on with my life. and Presumably one of Nora's co-workers that works in a different department, so I don't know that Nora really knows this person at all, but presumably one of Nora's co-workers is like, wow, that is one stinky motherfucker. Yeah. But that's how it is sometimes. Sometimes strangers think, that bitch stinks. The story hit me more the first time I heard it. Yeah, I did tell you the story a minute ago and then think, I should have told this on the podcast. Because you you were laughing the first time. I sound so sad when I say it like that. You were laughing the first time. God, everybody, she yeah. was laughing. I, I promise was. you. I was. <laughs> me not crying while I'm like, no, she was totally laughing the first time. Um, yeah. Um. We can do an update on last time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got um, my Crocs. Yeah, you got your Crocs. I like I the saw color. them today. I like the color on yeah. them. Um, would you say they're a little bit more purple than you were expecting, but that's a good thing? They were exactly as purple as I was expecting. Okay. Yeah. Because after you picked them out and mm -hmm. had ordered them, Emily was like, oh, I saw some TikToks where people were complaining that they thought it was going to be more blue and it was more purple when they got them. Mm -hmm. um, and you were like, well, that's fine. I like purple. Yeah. So. And then I, after she said that, I looked at them again. I was like, oh, these are a little more purple than I first thought. But I, I don't know. Like. Yeah. I was, I, I like gave it a second look with this new knowledge and I was like, oh, these are kind of purplish. Okay. Yeah. I I like them. It's it's been weird because like so I got them yesterday and like yesterday um I just like came home from work and I was wearing like a black t-shirt and like blue jeans and black socks. Um and I was like I went outside to take out the trash and and smoke. And and so I look like very just like very plain from 
from like head down to my feet. And then at my feet, just the brightest, because <laughs> those, those shoes are never going to look as bright as they do right now. Yeah. You know, because like in a week or two, I'm going to like accidentally step into a puddle and get my sock all wet and bullshit. And then they'll, they'll look disgusting for the rest of my life. But right yeah. now they're really fucking vibrant. Um, I just thought of something. I remembered something. Mm hmm. Uh, while you were talking, because I was looking at we we did some like plotting out of some movies we're gonna watch. Yeah. Um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was doing that, because we had been talking about how oh we could do these like two short documentaries that I have on the like sort of history of documentary stuff, because that like even together it's like an hour, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even less. And then I was looking at the list and I remembered that Entiran is three hours long. So do we still want to do that next time, or do we want to? Maybe we should find time to watch Entiron. Maybe we maybe we nix Entiron from the list, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I it is we've been struggling lately to just like make the show happen for, for various reasons. You know, I was I was saying before the show, like, we've just been kind of depressed. Neither of us have really been in a movie mood. <coughs> and so it's just been kind of hard to to sort of keep the, the train rolling. Um, which is fine, you know, thing, you know, there's ebbs and flows in, in life. I'm not pressed about it. Um, but with how hard it has been to make the podcast happen, I don't think adding a three hour movie, while I'm also in the middle of doing a couple four hour movies for my other podcast, I don't think, I don't think adding a three hour movie onto that. So we'll, we'll pencil in Entiron for like late 2022 or 2023 or something like that. Like maybe yeah. we'll, we can circle back to it. Maybe we can watch it in our free time. If there's like some week where we're like, Hey, we just have a day where we're able to hang out and not have it be podcast work. We can watch into Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't remember that. It is a fun movie, but it is also three hours. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> But, I mean, we still got some bangers lined up. So. We got some bangers. We'll say that in the main episode. You've already yeah. heard it. Um, um, The other update mm-hmm. from last time. So, one, we're in person. Yeah. Uh, that That's a change. Yeah. Uh, from last I time. I did. As soon as we were in person, I've been fine all day, and now I've been coughing, and I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. Um. Also, I got my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the first time since I first got the Line app, uh-huh. which I got like when it first came to the U.S., uh-huh. um, I did it before anybody else I knew in the U.S. had it. Uh, I specifically had it to talk to a friend in uh, Japan mm-hmm. who I had like gone to school with, and then she went back. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, this is the thing, because we would occasionally email, mm-hmm. uh, but like, oh, this is the thing where like, you don't have to, t- and like international texting was just like ridiculously expensive, you know, and like calls were and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I ended up getting it, uh, through that. And I like throughout the entire history of getting different phones, I have persisted the chat history. So I had chat history going back over a decade. Um, this time I just forgot to do the whole, like, cause Separate than every other part on your phone that you back up, yes. you have to do a separate backup within line. This is so frustrating because when I was at the at the T-Mobile store, um, like he was doing this backup, uh, and it's just like 
I just had a USB-C to USB-C. My phone was plugged in. My old phone was plugged into my new phone. The data just moves. Yeah. The data is all right there. I don't know why Line can't and won't just transfer that way. Yeah. You know? I wonder if it's something to do with... Uh, so one of the other reasons why she really liked Line... I think it was like taking off in Japan at the time. I got in like shortly after there was like a huge, I think I, I don't think I got hit by it. I think it was like right after there was like such an influx at one point that the, their servers crashed for like a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that like being a thing that like around when I was joining line, I don't remember if it was after I joined or right before. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the reasons why she liked it is that it has like, especially for a thing that you're, you're like texting with other people across like the internet and stuff it has like actual encryption stuff so i've had my stuff encrypted for fucking forever Mm -hmm. which it is like an option that you have to turn on but it's just Mm -hmm. like mine has always been encrypted um and she liked it because she did communist organizing in japan and she was just like i want to do this on an encrypted thing (laughs) (laughs) i could send my i could send my like workers of the world unite thing and also cute little stickers of little like cats. yeah, so that was the real thing. Is then I I got hooked because of the stickers. Yeah. So like I have a I have a ton of friends who are online because of me, including you. That's true. You got I, line because I was like I'm online. <laughs> I feel like I would have got line from some from one of my other friends, but you were the first friend. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. <clears throat> um. But. So I lost all of the chat history, and there was like a full day after I transferred the phone. You were upset. Yeah. You were like as distraught as I'd ever seen you. I think if one of your parents died, you would be a little less bothered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would... At least then I'm like getting a will and whatever. <laughs> you know? There's no inheritance from your chat loss. <laughs> yeah. It's just like histories with friends I don't even talk to anymore. Gone. Uh-huh. So... Like tears in rain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was distraught. And then it like also just that experience like soured my whole opinion on my my new phone. I hate the new phone. I was like upset that like I'd gotten a new phone uh-huh. and that this had then happened. Uh-huh. But now I've got the case that you helped me pick out. Uh-huh. Um, I've got the, the Nana and Hachi ring on there. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you have any comments on my. It's very cute. Yeah. I told you this before off the podcast. Yeah, but now it's on mic. Now everybody yeah. knows that it's cute. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, with the case and the new ring, I feel slightly better about the new phone. But, yes. Uh, it also doesn't help that like form factor. I, I enjoy this about this. It's basically identical to my, my old phone. Uh, they like ever so slightly change the dimensions. Like maybe it's slightly thicker or... Mm-hmm whatever the old case didn't fit quite right and also the buttons are like ever so slightly moved not enough that like for your fingers it feels like oh that moved but just like you put a the old case on it and you're like oh that's like a a fraction of a millimeter off or whatever i don't know how familiar you are with my old phone but like this is so much nicer dimensions wise than my old one. Yeah. Like, cause look, I can hold it and I can actually reach yeah. the top of the screen now. It's yeah. not like so ridiculously fucking long that I can't like reach parts of the screen. I can use yeah. the phone. Imagine. Your your old phone um was distinctly like a, a Samsung or whatever. Yes. This one is far more in the like 
iPhone design. Yes. So so what I had before, Samsung has two uh Samsung has the the A series and the S series. And the A series is more like the budget phones and the S series are more the the flagship phones. And that one was a couple years older too, but I did go from the A to the S. And it is definitely like with the S series, none of your friends will realize you have a you have an Android. You know, yeah. with the S the series. The camera position is like different. That's like the main thing, really. <laughs> with the, and then there's like no logo. But if you put like a case on that, you know. Yeah. With the S series, all your friends will think you're cool enough to have an iPhone. Because like I was telling I was telling people at work like, oh, yeah, I got a new phone, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, did you get the, you know, new iPhone, blah, 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 14? Is that it? Yeah. I genuinely don't know. I was like, no. Yeah. Because so I got a year behind because I like the minis. Mm hmm. Um, and I don't think there's a mini of the 14. There's a 13 mini. So. Well, so so I was telling somebody at work, I was like, I got my new phone. And they're like, oh, the 14. And I was like, no, I have a Samsung, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you use Android? Are you like broke or something? <laughs> I was just like, no, no, I just like Android better. They're like, you like Android better? And I'm like, have you ever used an Android phone? And they're like, no, they're terrible. And I'm like, I don't know. I've used an Android phone mm. since I was like 12 years old. I especially look at yours and I'm like, that, like for the things that I enjoy about my phone, I just feel like that one also has it. The yeah. whole thing though is I'm just like locked into, in the same way that you probably are too. Like yes. all my line stickers are tied to Apple. Yes. Like the way that the line works, I'm not gonna lose. I have so many line stickers because yes. I've had it for over a decade. Yes, 12... and also every single, every single Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, it, not the last couple ones because there's like a falling out within the family. But uh, Emily's aunt would like give me an iTunes gift card, uh -huh. and at the very beginning, I would like get something with it. But it was like a small enough thing where it's like I can buy like one album uh -huh. and I would much rather buy like even back then I'd much rather buy a CD or a yeah. vinyl than like a digital album mm. uh, so on rare occasion I used it to buy like a phone game mm -hmm. but for the most part all of that just turned into coins that turned into stickers in line yeah yeah it was just every Christmas, like, cool, buy some more. I have so many, like, Christmas-specific packs because I would always be getting it at Christmas. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, that Christmas one's cute. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's 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 twofold, right? Because it's like, on the one hand, I am just... Saying I've had an Android phone since I was 12 is an exaggeration. I think I got my first flip phone when I was 12, you know? Um... I did not get a cell phone until I went to undergrad. Well, you have to you have to remember that um, there was a little there was some light absentee parenting happening there where yeah. I got, I got the cell phone because when I got home from school my mom was still at work until nine p.m. and so I needed to have a cell phone. Mine was also. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. I just the 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 other the real distinction here is we are getting the phone at basically the same time. Uh-huh. I'm just going to... <laughs> you got a landline. Yeah. No. I... I Because you are 12. Oh, oh. I'm 20. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the distinction. Yes. But, yeah. But, yes. Like, there there was... Um, I, I, I got a... I was, like, the first kid in my grade to get... Um, uh, a phone and so this like made me cool for like a week um until one everybody realized oh 
Autumn got a phone before any of us, but also Autumn got the shittiest phone in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, it was, it was a, it was purely like the next kid who got a phone got like a Blackberry. I think they were like typing and sending text messages yeah. and stuff. And, 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 and mine... you were still doing the, the like one, one, one to DC yes. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, or I yeah. think it was two. I it's forget two, what two, one two. was, but yeah, yeah. It, it's um, my phone was purely just like this is for calling mom and dad and you know grandma if you really want to, but why are you calling your grandma? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, my first phone that I had for a while was a flip phone, and it was just like the like cheapo mm-hmm. one, and I was just. This is terminology back then that I feel like nobody talks about anymore because it's just everything's different. But I didn't want the candy bar one because my my parents had phones before I did, and they had the candy bar style. Mm-hmm. You know that? Do you even is know that, what that? Is that the ones where you push no. them out? No. That's um, what that's what I miss. I miss when you had the phones after flip phones yeah, before like smartphones. The, the screen up. You would push the screen up, and there would be the keypad under it. I miss those. Oh, I I had one of the. I had I had this phone. Yeah. I had that phone right there. I hated it. Um. Yeah, I much preferred flip phones to the candy bar. Uh. Yeah, and so then the first one that I had a flip phone was just like a very cheap Nokia flip phone, I think. Uh-huh. Um. And then I had that one for a while until once, um, I was in the parking lot and I tripped and it like didn't, it didn't like hurt me really mm-hmm. when I fell. But then when I checked my phone later, the screen had cracked. Ugh. Um, and back then like scratch screen was, screen was just like fucked. Yeah. Um, cause it was like the actual screen cracking. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I don't even know if I'll be able to find it. It, it was, it was like more in this style where it even had the little antenna thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the one that I got after that was a razor. Mm. So, um, and then I had that one for a really long time until I eventually got an iPhone, which was not when they first came out. Um, for, for a while I was one of the ones that was like, this is ridiculous. Like you, you, you got like a phone that's also doing like stuff that you do. Why do I need that? I have a laptop and I have a iPod and like, right. Yeah. I have my, I have, I listen to my music on my iPod. Yeah. So it was like a couple generations in. I mean, and then I, I've just been locked in into iPhone, sort of. But I had a smartphone for a couple of years and still would carry around my smartphone and my iPod Classic for like a mm-hmm. while, for like for podcasts and for music. Honestly, like I remember my freshman year of college listening to the Bombcast on my iPod Classic. Well, one of the reasons why I did that too is that like even the early iPhones did not have the same hard drive space as a iPod. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so like the that was for like yeah, I would take photos with it and text people and do stuff like that. But if, if to have a bunch of music, mm-hmm. like to just have like my whole library of yes. music, yes. iPod. Yes. I miss it. Now I don't even like have a bunch of music. I, I don't like. have a music library yeah. anymore. 
it's fucked, dude. It makes me so yeah. fucking depressed. <laughs> My music library is a bunch of CDs and vinyl that I often don't listen to because it's just like work to go over there and do it. Uh-huh. Especially during the winter because hopefully like when we move we'll we'll do something else. But right now like the best place that we can put our money tree over the winter so it doesn't just like die out in the cold. Um, is sort of like tucked into this like corner that's by like the chase lounge, and then it's also like where the like turntable and the CDs and stuff are, mm-hmm. and so it just sort of like blocks all that off for half of a year. And then the first time that happened, I was just like, once I was able to get it, I was like, oh, all excited! It's the summer. I'm gonna play like a vinyl. And then it's just like the 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 memory of you know mm-hmm. the like the habit, not the memory of yeah. like going and doing that had had disappeared over the winter. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but um, it would be fun it, to build up a a music library again on some sort of hard drive. But the other thing is that in theory, I like the Android better because I can I can put Takiomi on here. I can put um, like you know I have smart audiobook player so that I can sort of like sideload audiobooks that I um, you know my DRM free audiobooks that I get from Libro. Um, you know, um, I have like st- stuff that that Apple would not sanction that I do on my phone. But realistically, I could probably live without those things. Like a gun to my head, if I had to switch to an iPhone, I could do it because I do- mostly just do all that shit on my tablet. the The tablet is the device that I have like fully like cracked open. I am the hacker. I am you know yeah bumping the ironing board where the mic sits. Um, but but in my head, because I do all that on the tablet, um, I'm like, well, I want to have the option to do it on my phone. I'm never going to do it on my phone, but I want the option. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> uh, should we just do the podcast? Um, I feel, I feel. So in group chat today. I was joking about how Stairwells is a three-hour podcast, and it's not right now. It's just not. It just hasn't been the last couple. Episodes. Well, this one's not going to be. Yeah, like, but, but but now I'm feeling like self-conscious. I'm like, we got to stretch. We got to pad. I got to talk about some bullshit. I got to think of more stories of when I farted in grocery stores. We we recorded uh, on what on Friday. Yeah. I can hear a small child's voice. Um, There's a toddler who should be asleep, but is not. Yeah. Um, I recorded on, or we recorded on Friday. And then, uh, what, Saturday I did Ghost Divers. Sunday we watched the movie. Uh, And then, like, Monday and Tuesday especially was a lot of me prepping for work stuff. Just, like, haven't had time to watch movies. Yeah. We're recording this on a Wednesday because I'm going to Canada in a couple days. Mm. So. It, all other things being equal. But also, would, right now, I'd be happy to go to bed early. All other things being equal, I would love to record on Wednesdays for the rest of time. Because right now, we generally record on Sundays, which are the worst day of the week for me. Like, Saturday and Sunday are fucking awful at work. Um, And then I have to record on Sunday and leave and go back to work first thing in the morning. <laughs> and so I would love if we could record on Wednesdays, but we can't because Alf has claimed it and because of the this, other that, and the other. Yeah. 
There's like so, a there's like a dozen reasons we can't do this. I haven't but. even brought this up to M yet because it's probably gonna be fine. But uh, my work is probably gonna shift my drive-in day to Thursday, mm-hmm. which means that I'm gonna need to like record Alf and then immediately go to bed. Cannot do three-hour podcasts on Wednesdays anymore. Yeah. So. Um. That's not like for a few weeks. So I don't actually know when the date is, and in general. Now I'm learning of this, but in general, I don't bother M with like scheduling stuff until I have like actual dates and things. Yeah. So, whereas with you, I'll just bother you with anything at any moment. That's true. You do bother me. Yeah. Should we do the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) No, I got to think of another story about a fart. (laughs) (laughs) Must it all be fart based? I don't know. I just, (laughs) um, Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I told Nora this. So Nora and I, I might have mentioned this on the last episode, had a contest going to see who could go longer without losing their phones. Mm-hmm. Did I mention this last time? Losing and dropping. Losing and dropping. We had a contest going to see who could go, like, who, who could go longer without losing the new phone. And last night... Had my money on, uh, you would lose your phone first. Yes. Last night, I made a grievous error. As the edible was hitting, I was getting ready for bed. And I was like, I brushed my teeth, and then I went to go get my pills, and then I went to go get dressed. But this makes it sound way more, like, organized than it was. Because what actually happened is the edible was hitting, and I wandered into the bathroom and thought, why did I come in here? I need to take my pills. And then I got to where my pills are at, and I was like, oh, I needed to brush my teeth. I'll go to the bathroom. (laughs) And then I got to the bathroom and like, I haven't put on my pajamas yet. I'm so, I'm not cozy. I got to get cozy first. And then I like put on my pajamas and I just like laid on the bed for two minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, and in all of this, I just looked at Nora and I was like, fuck you. <laughs> She's like, what did I do? And I'm like, fuck you. She's like, what? And I lost my phone. Anyway. Last story, and then we will really start the podcast. Is that apparently all my coworkers were rooting for Nora in this? Because I'd mentioned that at work that well, that Nora would lose her phone first, or that Nora would no, win no, this. Nora was rooting, or all my coworkers were rooting for Nora to win. They were rooting yeah. for me to lose my phone. At one point, I had set my phone down on the counter at work and turned around, and someone was like, "Oh, Autumn, you lost your phone!" Like people were were sabotaging me. <laughs> People, people wanted to watch me fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when I came to work today and told everybody that I had lost my phone, people were delighted on on Nora's behalf. <laughs> I knew it would be you. <laughs> <laughs> Foolish. Foolish to take an edible. Anyway, let's podcast. Yeah. Smallpox, big yawn. 